Sport Calgary members have access to resources such as marketing on social media, blog entries, features, and placement on the event's listing. Becoming a member is so easy and it's cost-effective because it's free. Visit www.sportcalgary.ca slash members. Welcome back, everybody. Glad you could join us. I am, uh, of course, your podcasting pal, your podcasting friend, your friend in podcasting, Rob Kerr. Glad you could spend some time with us here for Sport Calgary. It's another uh, original Six Feet Conversation podcast. But there begins to become a theme here, and I'm learning as, as we go on. Uh, a person I had never met before, but felt like we were uh, friends as soon as this thing was over, for sure. Um, but I'm having my eyes opened up here, folks. I, I got to tell you. I had no idea we had this many Olympic-caliber runners, runners, in the city of Calgary. Yes, we've got some of the greatest park systems and path systems, and it's a great city to run, jog, walk really fast, brisk, or just go out and uh, lollygag. That's what the city is about. But we've got another Olympian with us today, Maria Bernard. Maria is a middle distance runner. She competed in Rio in 2016, and she's a f- just a fun chat about her sport, steeplechase. She's a fun chat about growing up in Calgary and getting recruited, and just so many pleasant, fun things to talk about with Maria, and I can't wait to share that conversation. Before we do that, check out Sport Calgary's This Week in Sport for the latest in news and updates in the Calgary sports community, and you can check it out at the website, sportcalgary.ca. Let's jump in it, shall we? Maria Bernard, middle distance runner, Olympian in 2016, on track, on pace to go to Tokyo, is our guest. Um, I have pressed start. Uh, I have no real hidden agenda in all of this, so we'll see where the conversation takes us. But let me start here. Now we're a couple of months into this, whatever this is. How have you adapted? Um, I'd like to think fairly well, uh, although things are still always changing. So I'm having to readapt. I'm going back to work in a week and a half-ish. So that'll be new. Um, nervous about yeah. that? Sorry? Are you nervous? Um, I'm not so much nervous. I just want to make sure we're ready and we do a really good job in keeping our patients safe. I work at a, a private um, hearing clinic. So okay. um, sometimes there could be some moments where I have to get a little bit closer just to look in ears and things like that. So making sure I'm wearing PPE, but also my patients and that everything's kept really sanitary and, you know, that it's not a stressful environment either for the patients. So, so which part of your world has been I don't know, stressful or, or, you know, more difficult to navigate here in the last couple of months, your athletic endeavor, your Olympic dreams, or your professional life of being in the medical side of things, which has been, you know, which has been more stressful for you? Um, I guess both, because both have kind of impacted each other. Um, mm. Not working, my training schedule has changed quite a bit. Um, in some instances, it's been less stressful because I'm getting more sleep. I'm able to run when I want. I can look at the weather and actually go, hey, it's supposed to rain later. Maybe I'll run earlier today. And that's an, a luxury I didn't have before with having a pretty like nine to five work schedule. Yep. Yep. Um, so in that regard, training's almost benefited from that. Uh, the work hasn't been too stressful. I've gone to maybe once a week just to keep up with paperwork and phone calls and um, if there's any emergencies. But yeah, otherwise it's just more and more adjusting, not so much stress, just like 
you know, a bit of uncertainty. I did have to take an easy week of training um, because I think sometimes our body manifests stress without us realizing. Yeah. I had some workouts where I was just exhausted and I didn't even realize I was, I was stressed just from things changing so rapidly. So I did kind of cut back a little bit on my volume and intensity in my workouts. And that was really helpful for me. (laughs) How would you describe your ability to train now, as opposed to maybe three months ago, what are you limited or I mean, you've talked about the schedule changing, but my guess is you, do you have the same access to the resources and the tools that you would have had? Um, in some ways, yes and no. Uh, so in terms of the people, hmm. I don't have in-person access, of course, but they're still very in touch with me and I'm still able to access them through telehealth, like my physio and my strength trainer and stuff yeah. like that. I do all my um, gym workouts at home. As a distance runner, strength isn't um, maybe as regular in the schedule as it would be for like a sprinter or a thrower. Um, So it's not, the main thing really is running, which has been pretty unaffected. Um, You know, running is a little bit more difficult now with the paths. I run a lot downtown on the river path, kind of near Eau Claire. I had a run where I came back and I had the hiccups for like an hour because I was like holding my breath every time I went by someone. <laughs> so I was so worried. So um, like changes like that, or we'll try to move our workouts so that we're going to like abandoned roads or around the university campus because it's less popular, just so that we're kind of minimizing how much we're around people. Because in a workout, you are huffing and puffing, so we're trying to be conscientious of others there. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, let me ask you about that, because in other conversations with other runners, uh, that I've had on this podcast, this is a great place. When things are right, this is a great city to be in for a runner, isn't it? In terms of the trail systems and, and the availability of, of places to go. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, I'm still finding new paths, which I didn't think was possible. <laughs> <laughs> but I still find new routes. Um, and I still find, like, I'll go for a run and be looking off the side and be like, I don't think I've gone down that way. Have I? And maybe I have, and I just forgot, but, um, yeah, there's so many good, good paths to run on in the city and being at a little bit of higher altitude. I always feel like I have a bit of an advantage when I drop down to sea level, I feel a little bit better. Um, so that too. And just the fact that it's sunny all the time. (laughs) I lived in Vancouver for six years and it's, um, It's great, mild temperatures, but it's hard sometimes to get out when it's just so drizzly and rainy all the time. So I think the sun really helps with my mental health and really helps me get out the door. So what are you seeing right now when you go? Um, My guess is you're probably seeing a lot of people who are just utilizing the pathways to to get out and get out of the house and keep from going stir crazy, which is probably not the normal traffic that you're used to, right? No, it's not. It's funny because at first... I felt kind of possessive because I was running when I was like minus 20 out on these paths and seeing no one. And then all of a sudden I saw so many people, which was great. I was like, welcome. And (laughs) it's nice to see people being so active. But I was like, where were you all when it was minus 20 and I was all alone? (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, it's it's a little busier, but I think that's good. That just means more people are getting fresh air and um, people are usually pretty good about moving over and Hopefully they feel the same about me. So, <laughs> I probably should 
leave this for later, but let me jump into it right now. Could you give me a reason why there are so many runners, marathoners, sprinters, middle distance, Olympians in and around Calgary? I, I had no idea. I thought I knew sports in this city, yet I keep running. In, uh, there's an amazing concentration of runners in this city, are there not? Yeah, yeah. I'm not really sure, like, if it's that people were drawn here who were already runners or people came here and then started running. Um, but I think, honestly, it's it's a great community, which I'm sure you've heard many times. Yeah, yeah. People are just happy in Calgary and happy to run and be out. Of course, proximity to the mountains helps. You just have many active minded individuals who probably do other sports too: ski in the winter and hike and running is just one of the things you can do almost year round here. So um, it helps that the city's awesome at clearing paths. That's another thing. Yeah. I know it's a lot everywhere in Canada, except for maybe out in BC, but um, here I think we're pretty fortunate that unless it's like, below minus 30 with wind chill you can pretty much go outside and find somewhere that's been cleared so but you're a calgary product right like you know mm-hmm. and then and there's sam and there's trevor there's a whole and it's not like it's a, a people are moving here let's just there's calgarians that are becoming runners at an olympic yeah. level which is pretty incredible yeah it's a positive culture i think um i know in other places maybe there's clubs that don't get along or things like that. But in Calgary, I've really never heard that everyone supports each other. And um, I think people just kind of grow off of each other. Like, yeah. You see doing well, and then you want to do well, and people are inspiring one another. So it's great. So then did you find running or did running find you? How, how do you answer a question like that? I kind of think it found me. <laughs> um, because I feel like I should have realized it a little sooner that, hey, I should do running. Because I, I played soccer in junior high. Um, I played every sport, but soccer was the one thing I did outside of school. Mm-hmm. So my parents actually signed me up and I played whatever, three times a week. And I remember I was middle defense. And just basically, I would just run around chasing the ball. I probably didn't even touch the ball very often. <laughs> I don't think my foot handling skills were average let alone like great and I remember just being like I think my strength is honestly just people like she's everywhere she's she's over there oh now she's over there and I should have realized oh yeah like I'm good at the running part of this sport um in grade nine I went to cross-country like zones in Calgary Mm -hmm. uh whatever the one is before cities and just for my school and I placed second and I had hadn't done any running ever. Like I, I didn't even know there were track clubs until high school. Um, I didn't know that was a thing. My school didn't even have like track as like really a unit. We did one day where we had hot dogs for lunch, almost (laughs) 400 meters at the end of the day, (laughs) everyone got sick. And that was like pretty much the extent of my exposure. So yeah, after that race in grade nine, I was like, Oh, I wonder if this is like a thing I can compete in. And then, I had a friend who played soccer who also did track. And she's like, you know, I I do both and I really like track. You should try it. So then I kind of got hooked up with her coach and started to go to practices from there. So was that in school or was that a, a track club that you started with? That was outside of school. It was okay. called the Calgary Warriors. Right. Um, and really what made my decision was 
my parents said, okay, you can do soccer or track. And I was like, well, I'll try something new because I was always doing something new. Mm -hmm. I really, I kind of wanted to do everything. So I was like, okay, I'll do something new. And they said, pick a club that's close. We're not driving you all the way up to the (laughs) university or whatever. We live in the far south. Sure. They were like, pick something that's close. And this club was training out at Fish Creek Park by Sokomi Lake. And so they were like, okay, you can do that. It's like 10 minutes from our house. <laughs> uh, by the way, I love the Fish Creek reference. I'm in, I'm, yeah. Fish, I'm in Fish Creek every day. It's one of the greatest gifts in the oh. world, I think. Yeah, I think I, I, I don't live in a house right now, but I'm, if I ever buy a house in the city, I'm going to buy one within walking distance of Fish Creek for sure. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. So I, I'm always curious about how you end up in the discipline that you end up in. You started, I guess, in, in really in cross country, but were you in, you know, when you joined the track club, what were you trying or what did they put you in right away? Um, usually if you just, you kind of decide between like sprints or distance. Okay. And if you, if you do distance, um, of course there are set distances and most people start in the 800 and the 1500. Okay. I think because one, they don't want to completely, <laughs> completely destroy you with something as long as a 5k. You're still pretty young, um, like mentally, but also physically, it's just better for development to not, you know, start running marathons when you're 13 years old. So, um, I started in the 800 and the 1500. I think that it's just pretty much the standard distance runner start here kind of thing. Yeah. Were you, were, did you, did you continue cross country or was cross country any component of this at all? It was a big component. Like in the fall, really, it was cross country. Okay. From September to December, it's cross country. Then indoors till March and then we go outdoors. And then late August every year, you start training again for cross country. And cross country was um, extremely important for building our base going into the indoor track season every year. Okay. Here, here's hopefully the weirdest question I asked today, but I can't guarantee it. At any time, were you tempted by javelin or hurdles or hammer throw or anything else? Or was was it just yeah. going to be running? I was very tempted because I like trying everything. Okay. I thought I would. Um, luckily, I already knew I wouldn't be very good at them, so I wasn't too disappointed when that came true. I remember at one high school meet, I decided I would do the 1500, the javelin and the 100, the 80 meter hurdles. Okay. And I came third last in the 80 meter hurdles. I didn't know how to use the blocks. So that was probably one of the main things. Mm -hmm. Um, then in the javelin, I faulted all but my last throw. And I remember I felt so rushed to do my throws because they were calling us over to the start line of the 1500. Ah, at track meets, they do not put, you know, two events that someone could be doing close together, but no one would predict someone was doing both the javelin and the 1500. So yeah. <laughs> I was rushing to get my throws in because I just really wanted to try javelin. I threw like 13 meters, like terrible. Um, like I think you could probably go out right now and throw something twice as far or heavy as a javelin more than that. But um, <laughs> yeah, and then I did the 15 and was like, okay, I think I know. I think I know where my talents lie here and I should probably give those up. <laughs> so were you, were you, how would you describe you, yourself as a, as an early adapter to track and field? Were you serious about it? Was it just something you were doing to kill time? What was, you, you know, were you fascinated by it? What, what, what was your 
mental approach when you started all of this? I think my mental approach was I just really liked it. Like there was something about finishing and knowing that you had given it your all. Like with other sports, sometimes maybe you didn't get as much playing time as you'd like or whatever. The game was just a bit slow. But with racing, it was all in my control. Like if I crossed the line, I had full ability to know I gave it everything I had. I just like the feeling of breathing hard and your muscles getting tired and just leaving it all out there. It was a good challenge for me. I like the challenge. Um, I wasn't so much focused on how I would do because I remember finishing like close to last in my first races and that was fine. (laughs) That didn't, that, that wasn't turning you off for anything like that. You know, you were getting something else out of it, obviously. No, I think my biggest fear was never that I would like be last. It was that I wouldn't push myself as hard as I could, that I would give up internally. And I remember my first races, like I would almost scratch, like I would stand around the person with a clipboard who would be checking all the athletes in. And I'd be like, trying to think of how to word it to go up to this lady and be like, I'm going to scratch, please. Like I would get so nervous. Um, and so I still get nervous, but luckily I haven't thought about doing that in a while. So. I, I honestly, I've never had anybody talk about that. I, I'm fascinated. How, when did you overcome that? Or when did that, when did you stop feeling that way? I guess. I think after I talked to more people, like I always felt like, oh, this is something that's wrong with me. But then the more you speak to others and they're like, I get nervous too. Mm-hmm. You, It's just natural. It's just part of the sport. And learning to know that nerves is also the same as excitement. When your hands get clammy and your heart's racing, it means you're excited too. Um, just learning to channel, like channel it into something positive, yeah. learning that nerves mean you care and that that's okay. Do you, do you think back at all and, and were you close? Like, could it have ever tipped you the other way, do you think? I think so for sure because I remember being like, I hate this. Like, I hate this feeling like I just want to get out of here like why am I putting myself through this yeah and then you finish the race you realize like that's what stepping up to the plate is and that's what challenging is and maybe for some people the challenge is completely in the race but for me it was getting to the start line when did the when did the switch flip when did this go from being something that yeah it was fun but you know we were dealing with some stuff but when did you Maria begin to take you know, running middle distance running seriously. I remember distinctly when this happened, I went to a track and field camp. Um, It was youth Legion camp and they hosted them in Calgary. And what's really funny about this camp is my coach. One of them was Jess O'Connell. Yeah. I (laughs) Um, podcast guest. Yes. And she's now my teammate. So it's quite funny to think like little, novice Maria like in awe of this uh, Jess O'Connell and the other coaches there and being like oh I don't belong here but um I remember at that camp there was a couple athletes who qualified for the youth legion games and they were going to be somewhere in Ottawa I think Mm -hmm. and they made team Alberta and that was like the big thing they made the provincial team I remember going home and telling parents like that's my goal like one day I want to make a team Alberta like I want to get to wear the cool like blue singlet and like go where and compete against other provinces and stuff like that. So that was like that camp. I think that was really helpful for me. So what grade would that have been? That was grade 10. So that was grade 10. Okay. So yeah. early on in, in yeah. high school, 
you you were yeah. into it. it i find it interesting that you mentioned jess as like a is already at that age somebody you were looking up to like you were obviously aware of the community and who was involved right yeah yeah i was um jess went away for school so like i think i hadn't heard of her um for a couple years after almost like other people had yeah she come back or whatever yeah yeah but um yeah she was she's four years older than me and i knew she was fast and she was just very nice and very well spoken so definitely looked up to her at that camp okay so the the flip switches or the switch flips there now mm-hmm. you're in high school now you're competing you're taking it seriously when does the college route when do you start thinking about that when does school start calling yeah so i never ever thought i would be the type of person who would have opportunities to go to school anywhere i wanted based on athletics i thought maybe academically i would have some doors open but i never thought so you were a good student i was a good student yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. i was okay. i was like in the nerd jock group i guess you would say at school like <laughs> <laughs> all my friends we were like high achieving and yeah so okay. i was a good student but i'd never really had um you know attention from coaches or anything like that mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. i believe it was in going into grade 12 I went to my first Canadian cross-country nationals, and I, I like, I was decent, but I wasn't even like the best in Alberta. And I went there, and cross-countries, the fields can be pretty deep; like you can get up to 100 people in the race or more. Yeah. And I finished 10th, and top six made the national team. And I remember like going over the line. My coach didn't even come because like. It wasn't a serious thing to us. He was just like, go have fun. Like, go do this thing if you want to try it. Yeah. And the real yeah. reason I had gone was because I was going to do some school tours. So I was like, oh, Nationals are in Guelph. I'll, like, check out that school. I'll check out Toronto, McMaster. And I finished. And, like, they were giving me this piece of paper that said, you're the alternate for the national team. And I was like, what? What, what team is this? Like, I was like, I wish I had a coach here. Like, I don't know what what this means. And luckily, some other Calgary coaches, which shows the community again, came over and were like, Maria, you need to go sign some papers to say you'd be willing to be the alternate. You need to go do your sizing for your uniform. So I did all that. And, and then after that, that's when I was starting to get phone calls and emails. And I even had um, a coach from UPenn, I remember, come for a barbecue in my backyard. Like, um, University of Pennsylvania. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. So that, okay. He came cool to see thing. you. Yeah, he came. I was, I like, honestly, that one was high up on my list because he, like, I bonded really well with um, the yeah. coach there. I did my little tours and then I sat around for a couple months. Um, I mean, I, I was training, but I was sitting at home and I got an email mid-January saying something about this team. Like, it was like one of their emails. And I was like, am I on the team? I emailed them and they were like, oh, we thought we told you that a couple <laughs> girls declined and a couple girls were too old and you're on the team. And I was like, okay, I'm going to Trinidad and Tobago in a month. <laughs> I've got shots I need. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of when I think the doors opened and I started to look into schools because I was starting to get contacted after after that. That's so. pretty incredible. And, you know, that that's, you're very humble about this, but that that's geez, that's a nice little feeling to have, right? To kind of, not to say you stumbled into it, but in a way you kind of stumbled into that, right? Yeah, yeah. It was, 
unexpected. I remember even my parents, I could tell, were like, what's going on? Um, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, getting those emails, my dad was like, every day he'd be like, another one. <laughs> I'd hear him like yell from the office. And I'd be like, I don't know what's happening right now. Um, so how, much, was, how much of a role yeah. did they play in your decision making? I, I want to get to your decision making, but how much of a role mm-hmm. were your parents playing at this point? A huge role. Yeah, yeah a huge role. Um, we had like, I remember we had a whiteboard in our office and it had like the schools and then it had columns. So athletics, academics, like proximity to home, the city, like um, all these things. And they were all ranked. I, I am like a huge pro con list person. I'm incisive. So I need to usually like write things down. So for me, they were a huge factor in like just hashing it out and like looking at all these different aspects of the school and then making my decision. So, Maria, now with hindsight, having completed the journey, that that particular part of the journey, what was the what were you really interested in? Was it the track program? Was it the coaches? Was it the education component of it? Um, you know, we'd always say at the time, oh, I'm, I'm interested in both. I want to combine both. But what really what pushed you over the top to make a decision? It was my visit. Like, if there's any advice I give to anyone looking into schools, it's always go, go there. Yeah. Um, it was just this feeling. So I went to uh, McMaster, U of T, Guelph, and I went to UBC. Mm-hmm. When I went to UBC, I met the team. I did a campus tour. I did a run with the team. And I met the coach and did dinner with him. And I remember I just felt like it wasn't so much like, yes, this is the right balance of athletics and academics, which certainly that's something UBC has going for it. But I was like, I could be happy here. Okay. It wasn't like, I will excel here. I will succeed. It was like, I'll be happy here. And for me, I know a happy Maria means a successful one to whatever degree that might be. But for me, being happiest was most important. And I could just tell I got a good feeling from the team, from the coach. Yeah. And the program itself, I wanted to do sciences. Life sciences was like 19th in the world at UBC. So that like that was an easy check mark for me. Gotcha. Okay. Okay, so that that I wanted to ask you about that. If if did you you obviously found what you wanted educationally there too? Yeah, I remember like with the states. I think with a lot of athletes or runners, you get these offers for full rides, and they're extremely attractive. Um, and some for some people, the academics aren't as big of a factor, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. And some people, it is. For me, it was. So when I was looking at the states, I was only really looking at schools that would be equal or better education than one I would consider in Canada. I didn't want to just go to the States just to say, oh, I competed in the NC2A. That right. wasn't a thing for me. And maybe being a little naive to athletics and what the NC2A had to offer too was a blessing in disguise. Um, so yeah, once I kind of narrowed down the schools in the States I was looking at compared to UBC, I was like, there is no, there is nothing drawing me there over what I could have here. So I'm glad I made that choice. Can you help me with UBC? You compete at NAIA, right? Yeah, yeah. Track and field is NAIA at UBC. So it means um, you're, you're traveling. Again, you're competing against Americans in American schools. Did that play a role in any of this? Um, Not so much, okay. really. Because I think, again, I had a little bit of like, maybe I didn't prioritize it that much, or I just didn't have enough knowledge of what the competition level would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did kind of tip the scale a little bit with the NAIA 
is they compete in the outdoor track and field season. So because they use sports, I would actually be able to compete outside. Um, For me, I never really liked indoor. So that was a big draw. And luckily, I made that decision because had I not, I would never have found the steeplechase because that is only an outdoor track event. Right. Uh, not it's not really ever contested indoors. So. Okay. And that, and that was actually you leave me my next question. So you go to UBC and what are you competing in? What are you training in? Mostly uh, cross country was a big thing. Okay. Our our team was second in my first year as a rookie, and getting that banner was. Uh, like a dream for us. So every year cross country was a big focus for our team after that. And then um, for track, I mostly did 1500s and 5Ks. I did that in my first year. I didn't even try the steeple. So. All right. So let's talk about steeple. When (laughs) did, it's kind of the same question all over again. I asked you, when did you find track or did track find you? Did you find steeple or did steeplechase find you? Yeah. So steeple, I always have to remember I always think that my first race was at UBC, but I actually did one in high school. And it was funny. It was for when I made a team Alberta. Mm-hmm. We were at the Western Canada Summer Games, and they were in Kamloops. And someone said, we need more people in the steeple. We can get easy points there for team Alberta. And I was like 15, 5K, so I was like, sure, I'll do it. Like 3K, how hard can it be? It's like right in the middle of my distances. I'll do it. So the day before the race, I like went over the water pit a couple times with um, a coach watching to see, just to make sure. And I was like, okay. I stuttered every single hurdle. I stepped on a lot of them, which now I don't do very often. Um, Yeah, it was atrocious. I would not want to see it. And I ran like 11 and a half minutes, I believe. So then fast forward to university. Um, This is actually pretty much... Well, pretty common, I think, for how people get into steeple. But that year, it was the NACAC under 23 was the big competition for people my age in Canada, the big national team. And I was like, I want to make this team. And I looked at the standards and I was like, I think I could run that in the 3K steeple. The standard looked quite attainable to me based on what I'd run in just a normal 3K. So I said to my coach, like, let's do this. And he agreed. He was like, I think you can do that, too. So we trained a little bit and I remembered like just running so slow. Like I remember setting up the hurdles and trying to do one lap at the pace I would have to do seven and a half laps straight with rest and like unable to hit it and just being like, Oh no, how is this going to go on Saturday? And then the day came and something clicked. Like I mm. felt relatively smooth. I had one water pit barrier that someone said, yeah, you, it looked like you were going to stop and like have to go back and start again and like run at it again. Um, but it was really odd. And I think I ran like the fifth fastest time in Canadian history in my debut or something ridiculous. Um, like steeplechase wasn't highly contested, um, like even five or six years ago. So that's not as crazy as it sounds, but I, I remember just being like, that was fun and it went well. So I think this will be my new event now. (laughs) How? What? What happened? I mean, with the you know benefit of hindsight, you look back at it. What? Why? Why did it work that way? I don't know. Like, I, I, I have no idea. I think with steeple, it's a lot about rhythm. Okay. And it's a lot about like 
being able to keep your heart rate at a certain level and keep your stress at a certain level with going over barriers and those elements without like, you know, taxing yourself too soon. Like it's about pacing yourself really. And I think I just had a natural ability of pacing myself. I'd run quite a bit alone um, before in my track club in high school. I was like one of the only girls at UBC. Um, I'd often do some of my workouts alone Hmm. just because I didn't have anyone who matched up quite right with me pacing wise. So I think I was good at just figuring out how to pace myself and find a good rhythm and settle in. So I think that's why it was a good event for me. And the race I did, I did alone. (laughs) That was a blessing in disguise because steeple is very hard when you get people around you. So being that was my first ever race, being alone was not a bad thing. It was something I was very used to. How did the rest of your call? And I'm going to we'll talk about your international career in a second, but how did the rest of your college career go? What were the highlights for you? There are so many highlights. Um, my college career was extremely positive. I've heard definitely some stories recently um, and just in past years of people not having such great, especially women at college. Um, but I only have positive things really to take away from mine. Cool. I met my best friend who was my bridesmaid <laughs> at UBC and she was co-captain with me of the team. Um, we, as a team, did really well like we won cross-country nationals at NAIA for UBC two years in a row um and then I became um all-american every every season and I uh I was outdoor performer of the year for UBC a couple times it it was it was really it was successful one but the main thing that I look back on it that makes me feel fond of it was the people. I had a really good year. I don't know if it was because my coach's last real year, he retired the same year as me. So it was just nice. Like we went out together and he recruited such a great group of athletes for my year. We got along so well and they are still my friends this day. I still do zooms with them and things like that. We just had such a great team atmosphere. People supported each other. We looked out for each other and we worked together and we worked hard and it was it was a wonderful collegiate career, I would say. <laughs> it's a little bit nutty to be an All-American at a Canadian school. It right? is. Right? <laughs> on, on some level, that's kind of quirky, right? Yeah, it was funny the first time I got that certificate, and I was like, I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, I guess it, I was like, it sounds kind of cool, but I feel like I should give this back or something. <laughs> Uh, in conversation, Maria Bernard is our guest here on the podcast. A reminder, Sport Calgary members have access to resources such as marketing on social media, blog entries, features, and placement on the events listing. Become a member. It's easy and free. Visit www.sportcalgary.ca slash members. Tell me a little bit about you as an athlete. Are you um, are you easy to coach? I'd like to think so, but I also joke around sometimes that um, me and Jess were like, our coach Mike's little divas. Um, I, I think in that in following orders, I'm quite easy to coach. Mm-hmm. I don't really stray from the rules, and I'm quite good. But I think in terms of needing to understand my program fully, um, and like you know, needing a plan, 
maybe I'm not the most easygoing. I like having a plan and I like understanding why I'm doing what I'm doing. So, When it comes to, and again, your sport, not necessarily like F1 racing or bobsleigh or anything, but are you particularly particular about your equipment, uh, i.e. your, your footwear or anything like that? Are you, you know, are, are you somebody who spends a lot of time worrying about that? A little bit. Um, my coach always makes fun of me. He calls me like, what's her name? Melda Marcos. Yes. It is Melda Marcos. Yes. Yeah. He calls me that, um, because I have a lot of shoes and they all come out at practice. Um, I'll be like, okay, I'm switching to these ones for the faster stuff. And then I'll wear spikes for the last two repeats just to feel those. And he always makes fun of me. I really like light shoes. So when I race, I often will look up how much do these spikes weigh? Because I don't know. I have a thing about them being as light as possible, about yep. feeling as light as possible. I, I guess I've raced a few times in spikes that felt heavy and I just, it like, in, I internalized it somehow. So I have a thing about my shoes being light. I guess. <laughs> is it a feel thing or is it a mental thing? Um, maybe a bit of both, okay. probably. Okay. Yeah, because you could probably lie to me and say they're like an ounce lighter, and I would, I wouldn't know the difference, and then it would be fine. <laughs> um, right now, in, in in the I guess the end of a quadrennial, how many active pairs of shoes do you have right now, Maria? Um, active, not so many. Okay. One should get rid of that are not active a lot. <laughs> um, I probably have like maybe three or four pairs that I use in a given week. Okay. Uh, so nothing too crazy. Away from the, 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 that component, are you in, do you utilize technology at all? Are you into data? Is there any of that that impacts you? Um, the main, like this isn't even really technology, but the main thing I use a lot is my Google Docs training log. Okay. So Mike, he's my coach who lives in Summerland. The best way to keep him up to date with how I'm feeling and doing is my training log. So I'm not as good about filling it out as I should be, but that's our main form of communication. So technology is pretty important for us in that regard. Um, in terms of like GPS watches and things like that, um, a lot of runners have looked at me like, what? Because I have maybe three or four GPS watches, mm -hmm. but they're all broken or they're not charged or they're somewhere in my house. I don't know. Um, so I often just run by feel mm -hmm. and I have a rough idea of how much mileage I'm doing or pace because I run a lot with my husband and he loves data. So he does wear a watch. Oh, okay. So he'll tell me, he'll be like, we're running kind of fast right now. I know you kind of want it today to be easy, just so you know. And I'll be like, oh, I wish you hadn't told me that. <laughs> but um, that, like, I, I've gone years without wearing one before. Um, I've been wearing one recently, uh, but I tend to not look at it too much either. I just find recovery days should be recovery, so I don't focus too much on the watch. And then in workouts, I'll just wear a standard one, like a little Timex one that has no bells or whistles just yep. to get like my lap splits when I'm on the track. And that's about it. Um, in competition on, on a, on a, a, a competition day, can I talk to you? My, can I just come up and start a conversation with you? Yeah. I might not be as chatty, Okay, <laughs> but I, I'd like to think I'm not unfriendly. 
um, I find that if I'm really ready to race, I'm the most normal. Okay. So if I'm like confident and I know exactly what I'm going to do in the race, I can talk to you pretty much exactly as I would every, any other day. Okay. So that's a good sign. If I'm not talking, then it might not go so well. <laughs> so if that's the case, then, then when are you, you have a pretty good sense of yourself then on, on race day. Yeah, I do. It's hard because with racing, I feel like you never really know how the race is going to go as much as you plan, as much as you feel confident or locked in or fit or whatever. Mm -hmm. Don't, but I think I know when I'm ready. I don't know if my legs will feel good or my body, but like I know when up here is ready. So I think I've developed a good sense of that. I also have a sports psych that I've seen since 2013. So I think a lot of that is um, because of him. So, And that's one of the things that I've learned talking to so many runners is that the mistake you make is assuming that it's a small team. How big is your team? How many people help you prepare for the Olympics? Um, I, don't, I guess maybe like five to ten people would be like my main okay. team. Yeah. So the main people is my coach, my physiotherapist, my strength trainer, and my sports psychologist. Those are probably like the core four. Okay. But I will get massages and I have been working with a nutritionist and then my team. So like my husband would be number one go-to on my team. He was a varsity runner at UBC as well. Uh, so he's also my, like my pace bunny, you call him. Yep. Um, <laughs> which is. It, not it's, flattering. Yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah. It's an ex- like I am spoiled in that regard to have someone who will be there reliably and says to you, what pace do you want to go today? And you say, can you just tick off, you know, 68s for me? And they're like, yep, is super helpful as a runner right. uh, to get through those hard workouts. And then we've got Jess and then her two orienteering pace, pacers, two, and then um, Sherry Boyle, a, a master's athlete in the steeplechase, one of the best in the world, actually. That, that's pretty, that's the, been the fun part about this for me is kind of exploring the idea of an individual event, but really has, you, you know, you do have a lot of support. It's funny, you look at yeah. team events, we make such a big deal about it. Look at all the assistant coaches and everything like that. Well, you know, it takes a lot of people to create an Olympian, really, or to support an Olympian. Yeah, I don't know anyone who could do it completely by themselves, and I it, there's just so many great resources to utilize. It'd almost be a shame to not have a team like that. 2016. How did you get to Rio? Um, that is a good question. <laughs> so in basically after I made that first team in grade 12, I made a national team every year. Okay. So I kind of, um, I was, I was decently consistent, I guess, but I didn't make a team for the steeplechase until 2013 Mm -hmm. um and then i went to the world university games in the steeple but no real major games um so the olympic standard in the steeple was 945.00 and the canadian record a year maybe two years i might be wrong before that was 951 so our canadian record was six seconds slower than the olympic standard so looking at that was like, well, that would be nice if that happened. Um, but it wasn't really like, I was 23 in 2016. So it wasn't like, this is the year I must make this team. Mm-hmm. So 
So I went to a couple of races in Portland. We raced a lot in um, Portland and California. And one of them, they went pretty good. I was getting a bit lower in uh, my times. I was 9.53. So it was like, hey, you know, if only we were a couple of years ago, I would be close to the Canadian record, but nowhere close to that Olympic standard. So that's fine. And then one meet we went down to. I remember Jess needed to run her proof of stamp, uh, fitness to get onto the Olympic team. And I was like along for the ride, basically. Hmm. And I remember Mike had, he had some other event he was coaching at here in Calgary, so he couldn't come. And then that morning at like 1 a.m., we got a text from him and said, I'm coming. I feel like I need to come. So he got on a flight at like, I don't know, three or four in the morning, came down to Portland and was there for us, took me out for my pre-pasta meal. Uh, previous past the meal and then we headed to the track three of us and I was first and I finished and I was like I am tired I was sixth or seventh in the race I was like I think that was a good race for me I'm I'm beat I'm I feel like maybe I PB'd I hope I did and I remember just like kind of walking into the infield and some of my old UBC teammates came running towards me and they were like Maria look at the clock look at the clock and I was like what and I looked up and it said 944.81. And I kind of forgotten that the steeplechase standard was 945. And then people started yelling. They're like, that's Olympic standard. And I was like, oh, my gosh, thank goodness I didn't slow down. <laughs> <laughs> I got it by 0.21 of a second um, in an almost 10-minute race. And so I was like, okay, now I'm going to have to – I was so happy my coach was there. I was like – I'm so happy you're here, not just to celebrate this moment, but now we need a plan. Yeah. <laughs> now what do I do? I felt like I was in a different world after that one. So, right. and then Jess hit her proof of uh, fitness in her race after mine, and we went out and got pizza, and we have pictures from that night, and that was a really good one. I'll remember it for a while. <laughs> so that's kind of the first step, getting the standard, and then we had to head to nationals, and there you have to place top three to be selectable and top two are the only two that are guaranteed. So third was at the discretion of athletics Canada. So I remember my old EBC coach Merrick, he said, Maria, you must come top two. And I was like, okay, Merrick, like a month ago, I didn't think I could run that fast. And now you're telling me I need to finish top two. Okay. Um, but then as the races, as the race got closer, I just, I was so dialed in. Mm. I was like, I know, I don't know how I'm going to finish. I don't know how fast the other girls will be on the day, but I know I'm going to give it my all. And when the bell rings and there's a lap to go, I'll be there. And so the race went, I think I was in last at some points in this race. <laughs> and like watching the video back was painful. I was like, oh, I don't look good. And I'm like in last. But the whole time I just remember being like, I'm, I'll, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. And, and then I just remember finding myself in third with like 18 years to go and everyone else had fallen off. And I was like, I want to know I'm going. And I just sprinted as hard as I could, couldn't feel my arms. And I finished in second. And then I knew when I crossed the line that I get to go. That had to have been an amazing moment in your journey, right? Yeah. That, it's probably my favorite race ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Who, who do you who do you call first? Who do you who do you you know when it all sinks in? Where who are you contacting? 
usually at most races it'll be my husband okay. but luckily at this race the olympic trials were in edmonton so most of my calgary um friends and family had come oh, for the race very so cool I basically turned around um got told i'd have to do doping kind of got released followed my by doping chaperone and then i was able to find them all and give them hugs so then the buildup, then, you know, you're going to Rio. What, how does your life change? How do you, you know, how does the preparation and the run up hand go for you? Um, it was, it was pretty eye opening because I still felt a little young and almost inexperienced mm-hmm. in comparison to a lot of the other people who had made the team. Um, my, like most of the male steeplechasers were around 30 years old. So I felt, um, quite, quite young, but yeah, there was, there was a lot of interviews. I remember just being like, Oh, I got to take time off work for this interview. And, um, that was nice. And just so much support. It felt so nice for all the people who had always been interested in my running, who always cared to finally have something to be like more proud of, to tell their friends, like for them to be like, I was telling, you know, my hairdresser about you and just see them crowd because people know what running is but people really know what an olympian exactly yeah and it carries that word just carries so much weight yeah so to just have that it felt like being able to be like here you go like thank you for supporting me and um so yeah i felt really rallied behind leading up to the olympics lots of interviews and all those kinds of things and carding was something i hadn't had ever so suddenly i was i was funded too so it definitely felt a bit more serious being like someone's paying me to do this thing I love. So yeah, there's some changes there. So you get to Rio. What's the Olympic experience like? Um, that was, yeah, it sometimes feels like it went by so fast, but mm. we were there for like about a month. So we went to Hui Sephora, which is close to Rio for a training camp beforehand. Um, and that was interesting. Just seeing another country is always interesting. Of course. Um, and just realizing how privileged you are. Um, I remember being in the village and looking out and then every night they would spray for mosquitoes because of Zika. And (laughs) I remember just seeing a cloud of pesticides (laughs) and everything, um, and realizing how far I was from home. Um, I've been obviously international competitions before, but the village is a little bit different because sometimes when you do these international competitions, other than the world university games you just stay in like a hotel yep. so that was different you know going down and seeing seeing other athletes seeing medalists and that kind of thing being in the elevator with someone who just won a medal um that was neat and then just the excitement you know feeling the warmth from back home and you know getting to see people go and waiting for your turn it was it was pretty pretty surreal how do you explain the difference between an Olympic event and, and like Edmonton, Edmonton was huge for you, right? Like, you know, that was a big, but how it's gotta be different, right? It's, it's gotta be bigger. It's gotta be, uh, how do you describe it? It's, it's hard because you like for some, and for some ways you get there and you're like, this is what I wanted to do. But then you, it's not that you become greedy, but, I think as athletes, you always want more. So mm. suddenly sights are higher and you're like, oh, I want to like, I want to beat some girls at faster times than me, or I want to make a final or some people's, I want to win a medal. Um, so it's, 
very like motivating and inspiring to be in that environment. Um, You come back being tired and needing a break, but also having a sense of renewed like motivation to get going again. Yeah. Um, How do you view the people you competed against? Were they peers or were they competitors? Um, like in the Olympic trials or at the actual Olympics? Yeah, at the actual Olympics. I mean, you know, it's funny having these conversations and, you know, some will tell you, well, you know, I know them all and we're all pushing in, but you know, Mm. I mean, is it, are they peers or are they competitors? Really? They're competitors and it's pretty hard to shut that off until the race is over. Okay. Like even if you see them before, I'd say not so much with the Canadians. Like I, I would look at them a little bit more as teammates, mm-hmm. the other two sailors. But you know, even when you see people before, you're not like, hey, you respect them, but you're like, we are competitors until we finish our race. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I would say more as competitors until until the until the clock stops. Are there rivalries? Are there dirty tricks? Are there people in black hats in steeplechase at the Olympics. Is, is, is there anything, go, any drama going on that way? Well, the biggest drama in steeplechase is people fall a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and people crowd around that water pit because they want to see a good fall. And that's one of the things I've learned, had to learn with my event is people don't want you to fall, but they want there to be a fall. <laughs> um, and I don't think anyone in the race ever purposely instigates one but there's so much adrenaline there's pushing and shoving and you get cut cut off quite a bit and it's quite challenging to learn how to run in a pack in the steeple it's not like other running events i've raced um even at the international level it's it's really gritty um you have to be like elbows up and super super aware and often with steeple you jump and you just hope you jumped at the right time because you couldn't see the barrier going into it. And you're like, this girl just took my line. <laughs> and you have to not take it too personally. You have to be like, yeah. we're all just fighting to get up there right now. Sure. So I don't think sure. it's uh, really like um, no one's, you know, purposely seeking you out. But uh, you definitely have to have a thick skin because it's just a tough, tough event. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, that makes a lot of sense. Actually, that's really well articulated because you could see how some people who would who don't have a control of their emotions, we could lose it in that situation. Definitely. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I've put a lot on having, um, emotionless awareness. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. That girl took my line. I'm over here now. Just it's done. Done. Because energy you waste on, Oh gosh, it's her again. Like, or whatever. That's, that doesn't make you run faster. So what, what did your run up in your competition in Rio teach you? How did it inform the next quadrennial for you, Maria? Um, I think it taught me a little bit that anything's really possible. Like, to never really count yourself out and to just work hard and see where that can lead you. Because mm. hard work is a lot. Like, I think for me, the main thing was consistency. I had no injuries. I always showed up to work out. I had never missed a workout ever. Um even if I had a cold, <laughs> maybe not that a good idea, but yeah. never was that sick anyway. So just like the hard work and consistency and not, you know, putting any limitations on yourself can lead to these kinds of places. Yeah. 
Where, when the cancellation of Tokyo happened, where, where were you in the qualification process? Where were you on that road to the Olympics? Yeah. Um, so with the, with most track events, um, you can compete in the indoors and have some of the indoor races get you some points towards qualifying. Yeah. Because it's not really contested indoors. You really have to nail it when you go outdoors is your only time to collect those points. So I don't have Olympic standard. The standard is 930 and I've run 936 and the Canadian record is 929 for reference. So they dropped that Olympic standard 15 seconds from 2016 to 2020. So it just kind of shows how our event is evolving. The steeplechase wasn't even in the Olympics for women until 2008. Right. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> the, in terms of qualification, I was really just getting ready to try and run my races. I'm with the races that I had run the previous year. I probably I would have been in the window to qualify for sure. It would have been selectable, but I would have needed to still go to the Olympic trials and place in the top three likely. So it was really my qualification um, plan was to race as fast as I could and then to show up at trials and hopefully be ready for that race. But all things, in, in fairness, you, all things being equal, you're confident you could have achieved that, right? I definitely could have achieved it, but there are some strong girls in the Canadian steeplechase right now. Okay. So like six or seven girls who are in the same boat as me, Gotcha. And only three can go at most. So to say that I would have been one of those three, I can't say with 100% certainty either. So, But I would have definitely had my hat thrown in the ring. <laughs> for sure. So do you have any clarification now with the, the Olympics being put off for one year? What, How the timeline, the schedule will change? I mean, we're all sitting here waiting, and I'm sure you know the outdoor season is part of that as well. But do you have any better clarification today than you did two months ago? thought I had like an idea that things would take a long time to get back to normal. There'd be no races until earliest the fall. Um, and then I got an email being like, you're going to back to work next week. So I was suddenly like, Oh, <laughs> maybe things won't take as long as I thought. Um, yeah. So I don't think we really have any more clarity. Really. We just have like, these are the dates of the Olympics world, um, track and field championships are now these dates. Like that's really, that's really it. Um, my coach kind of has philosophy of just training consistently right now. And then being like, if they say the world's open again, we have, we'll in six weeks be in great shape basically. So what's, what's the, the biggest gift you've got in this journey so far? What's the best part of being an Olympian? What's the best part of representing Canada? What's the biggest gift that you've got from your journey so far? Uh, it's so hard because there's so many gifts. And they're all quite big. I mean, um, I did meet my husband through track and field. We met in grade 10 in that track club I joined. So probably that would be the greatest gift. Probably the right <laughs> um, one, yeah. Yeah, yeah probably the one I should mention <laughs> right off the bat. But, I mean, in terms of, like, friendships and traveling, all of those things, but then also just becoming who you are, right? Just. Right gaining self-confidence, not scratching or thinking about scratching from a race or from anything that you're confronted with in life, just becoming a stronger, probably, hopefully a more well-balanced person. Have you been healthy through all of this? Have you, have you had to overcome any major injuries? 
I wish I could say yes, but, and that was my thing for a while. But then in 2018, I had an injury okay. and it was a whole year of not racing. Um, and it was my first ever one. So yes, except for all of 2018. <laughs> yeah. How, how much did Jess help you with that? Because in my conversation with her, that's part of her story, right? Is her, yeah. is her injuries, but her recovery and, and that determination just to keep coming back. Yeah. As much as Jess was helpful with, like she gave me pool workouts to do or um, um, tips like that in terms of training or, you know, when yeah. I was getting back into shape, she would, she would say like, you don't need to be this fit this right now. Like in that regard, she was mostly helpful in just having someone who you knew understood. Um, so the feelings of being like, did I do something wrong or, um, am I doing the right things at the uncertainty of an injury and not having a known timeline, much like right now, um, with everyone at the Olympics, it was most helpful to have someone who understood all of the emotions that go along with an injury. So in that regard, it was really nice to have her to talk to. Jess O'Connell likes ice cream. Yes, do, <laughs> she does. Do, do, do you at the same, do, do you love it as much? I don't. I just love food in general. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, that was yes. the one thing I came away with my conversation with Jess. She, she likes ice cream. Yes. Yeah. And as long as she's gotten her ice cream before the race, we can all go to bed and it's, everything's good. So, <laughs> Uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, Marie. Before I let you go, I have a standard question I ask all of my guests, so I will throw it out there with no parameters. I will let you answer it any way you want. But I am looking for your, Maria, hidden Calgary gem. Mm. Well, in keeping with Jess and the ice cream <laughs> theme, uh, this is probably not too hidden, but my family living growing up in the south we went to annie's a lot in mm. fish creek the ice cream place so kind of near bow valley ranch there yeah it's awesome when you're outside exercising on a hot summer's day you can just stop and get an ice cream so i would say annie's <laughs> sport local that's fantastic maria thank you so much this has been so much fun thank you you were a great guest i appreciate your time Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was nice chatting with you. So much fun to talk to Maria Bernard. And again, I, uh, as I said in this conversation to her, blown away. We are such a mecca of Olympic runners in this country right here in Calgary. Winter sports, I get, absolutely. Uh, athletes, leaders, yes. But Olympic runners, yes, so many of them. So great to talk to Maria. She was a, a really fun person to chat with. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Uh, speaking of which, uh, we mentioned Jess O'Connell. Jess O'Connell is an, another Olympian. Uh, she was a guest on this podcast. Grace Defoe is uh, not a runner, but a skeleton uh, athlete. She's trying to make the Olympics. So all kinds of great uh, female uh, Olympians have joined us and would love you to pick up Cassie Campbell-Pascal, Katrina LeMay-Don. Are you kidding me? We've had them on this podcast. Check them out. Go to Spotify. Sign up there. Go to Apple Podcasts. Sign up there. Uh, can't wait to have you back. Can't wait to talk to you again. Of course, we drop new podcasts on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Right here at sportcalgary.ca.